on this episode of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. I decided it would be kind of neat since we had a warehouse full of pinball machines. Um, back in the day, they had no value when they got old. The, the, you could trade them in to your distributor for $50 in trade. So we just decided to hell with it, we'll keep them. So I decided I wanted to open a pinball museum as a retirement project. In Spanish, its name means the Meadows. You might know it as the entertainment capital of the world, lost wages, or simply Sin City. Of course, I'm talking about fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. On average, 42 million people visit Las Vegas every year, and I'm one of them. I love this city. The sights, the sounds, the shows, the people, the history. I want to share all of it with you. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 49 of the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Thank you so much for hopping on board this little podcast journey to my favorite city in the world, fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. Before we get rolling for this episode of the show, I want to thank my guest from the last episode of the podcast, Vin A. from the Bronx Wanderers. Vin was kind enough to sit and share the Bronx Wanderers story with me, from their beginnings touring all over the U.S. to their time as headliners on the Vegas Strip, where they recently celebrated their 1,000th Las Vegas performance. If you haven't had a chance to check out my conversation with Vin yet, jump into the archives wherever you get your podcasts and search out episode number 48 or head to the website at jeffdoesvegas.com. All right, on to the show. My guest for this episode of the podcast is Tim Arnold, the founder of the Pinball Hall of Fame. If you're of a certain generation, chances are you wasted hours of your youth at the local arcade hanging out with your friends and dropping quarters into your favorite video games and pinball machines. And if you're planning on visiting Las Vegas anytime soon, you can relive those memories with a visit to the Pinball Hall of Fame. Located about two miles east of Las Vegas Boulevard on Tropicana Avenue, the Pinball Hall of Fame is consistently ranked as one of the top attractions in Las Vegas. Home to about 200 fully playable vintage pinball machines and arcade games, it's a great way to kill a few hours away from the insanity of the Strip. It's always at the top of my recommendations for folks headed to Vegas, and whenever I'm in town, I'll always make the effort to pop in and spend some time there. During my trip to Vegas back in November 2019, I headed over to the Pinball Hall of Fame, where Tim took a time out from working on repairing a classic machine to sit and have a conversation with me. We talked about his start in the pinball and arcade business, the beginnings of the Pinball Hall of Fame, the 800-odd machines he currently has sitting in a small airplane hangar in his backyard, and the future of the Pinball Hall of Fame, which includes a new building just south of the Vegas Strip set to begin construction this year. Please enjoy my conversation with Tim Arnold of the Pinball Hall of Fame. As a kid, I really liked pinball machines. I liked the art. I liked the fact that um, there was a challenge 
there was a reward in the free game. Free games don't mean much to kids now because all games are free everywhere. But back in the day, when a dime that you used to play pinball was a lot of money, you tended to really like winning something for nothing. It wasn't even the game, it was just the gambling rush of winning. So I hung out in the, the bus station, the pizza parlor, uh, the basement of the apartment house, and uh, played a lot of pinball. I also began to appreciate the art of it because um, each factory had a distinct style. And I would go, once I got a driver's license, I would go as far away as 60 miles on motorcycles to look at pinball machines that we found in the Grand Rapids airport. Uh -huh. So things like that. It just became a fascination. And then when uh, a local pizza guy was selling off some machines, uh, me and my brother and another guy went together thirds and bought one and put it in my parents' garage. And it paid for itself pretty promptly. So then we bought another one and another one and started putting them in frat houses, laundromats, uh, pizza parlors around a college town. And all the other schmucks, I mean, my classmates <laughs> would get up early in the morning and do their paper routes tr trotting through the snow to make a few lousy dollars. And I would just go down to the pizza parlor and open up this machine and take big boxes full of money out of it. I felt like a pimp. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was a grand life. And then I tried uh, going to college, but my chosen profession was um, kind of blocked for me at the time because they had quotas in at that point. And since I wasn't a minority and I wasn't a woman... Yep, still not one. <laughs> uh, so I just decided that I would take a semester off and try being a pinball pirate. And I never looked back. So opened up arcades in 76, started with those. Um, worked that real hard through 1990. Um, and the new games that they were coming out with in 1990 were mainly violent kung fu fighting games and it made me feel dirty when I went home after selling a product like that. I mean, what happened to the beautiful machines I grew up with that were being replaced by these ugly black boxes where you hit women with chains and ripped the, the, the heart out of your enemy and stole cars and drive, drove around. I just, I felt like a pornographer and I kind of had at that point, I had enough money to live on the rest of my life. Uh, so I decided it would be kind of neat since we had a warehouse full of pinball machines, um, back in the day, they had no value when they got old. Uh -huh. the, the, you could trade them in to your distributor for $50 in trade, and it didn't matter whether it was a complete ruined box of sticks or whether it was a perfect machine. It was the same 50 bucks, and we took care of our stuff. So it was an insult to us to take 50 bucks for it and then see it shipped overseas to Brazil and ruined. So we just decided, to hell with it, we'll keep them. Uh -huh. So we started stacking them up in a warehouse, and the floors in the warehouse started to bend a little bit because <laughs> it was a really old building, and it wasn't really designed for that much weight. And I decided I didn't like my product, so I decided I wanted to open a pinball museum as a retirement project. So I looked around, decided on uh, Las Vegas for a variety of reasons, loaded all these games onto trucks, moved them westward, and built an aircraft hangar in the backyard of my house. Uh, started going through the machines one at a time, 
uh, rebuilding them, um, bringing up the current electrical codes, uh, replacing worn parts, uh, getting them ready, and then started an event in my backyard called Fun Night, where I would invite initially my friends over, and we would all hang out playing games, and we'd pass the hat for a local charity, bring in cans of food, or we'd sell raffle tickets, and that became almost too successful because originally I called all my friends on the phone and that kept the numbers under control but the first time I sent out an email this is just when the internet was starting to happen uh, shows you my age <laughs> uh, so then people would get this email saying wow fun night I'm gonna send this to my friends and they're gonna send it to their friends oh no pretty soon I had hundreds of people I didn't know tripsing through my house uh, and they were stealing keys out of the games. Some of the games ran on nickels, so I put big buckets of nickels up on top of the games, and somebody stole all the nickels. And finally, the fire marshal's kid uh, told his dad about this unsafe thing that was happening in, in my backyard, and the fire marshal showed up and said, Look, if this was a commercial business, I'd shut you down this instant. But it's not, so you just better examine what you're doing here. I said, Whoa, whoa, whoa message received I'm never doing this again <laughs> because I was already on the fence about the success of the item in my backyard it had grown into a monster and I said okay well apparently there's enough demand for people that want to play classic pinball so I looked around and this was right during the peak of the real estate boom when commercial spaces were hard to find and I couldn't find anything affordable uh, and then there was this movie theater next to my house that was not in the best shape. Uh, the, not the movie theater. The movie theater was fine. The shopping center was a little run down. And they had a 4,400 square foot space. We decided to try that for a while, so I signed a lease. Um, we moved in there. We were there for four years. Uh, it was successful enough being next to the movie theater and word of mouth that we were able to save up enough money and buy the building we're in here uh, which was closer to the strip and we've been here for 10 years and now we're getting ready to move to actually on the strip in a larger facility even yet bigger so that's the story now it's it's amazing that it's it's come that far and you've, you've gone that far why do you think Las Vegas was such a good fit for this, or or why was this such a good fit for Las Vegas? It, it uh, could go it either was, way. It was part of it was technical. It's warm and dry. I can't ha scrape all the rust off these things just to have them rust solid again. Uh, two, there's no state income tax, um, uh, and also it, it come to find out after I moved here, when I was in the Midwest, the politicians, the police, the licensing people, the tax assessor all looked down at my tawdry little carnival business like I was some kind of a leper. They didn't want this pinball arcade in their college town because it wasn't fine art, it was popular culture, and only thugs who had stolen auto parts hung out in arcades. That was the theory at the time. And then I get out here and it's 180 degrees different. The people in charge of the government, the elected officials, and the bureaucrats all realize that in a tourist town, 
you have to have tourist attractions, and that this was just when uh, gambling opened up in places other than Nevada, uh, and the, the powers that be realize that it's not enough anymore just to have a big barn full of slot machines. You've got to have something else for the tourists to do because pretty soon there's going to be gambling everywhere. So they started to realize that what we need in a tourist town is tourist attractions, and they took one look at the thing in my backyard or the thing down the street and said, this is what we want. We want this in our town. What can we do to help you? Instead of having a fire marshal walk down through my thing and issue me a ticket if I was one inch into my aisleway, uh -huh. what I got was, do you need help with uh, permit issues? Do you need help with zoning issues? How can we make this work? So come to find out, Vegas was the ideal place because the people in charge hear the music. Now, the really cool thing about this place, and, and coming here pretty much every time I come to town, and, and I'm here a lot, I, I make a stop here. This this is this is my childhood. Like, I'm sure you hear from a lot of people that, that come here. Right. I mean, I grew up in arcades, and, you know, this was this was where my parents sent me when they wanted me out yep. of their hair. Yep. And everything in here is playable, which is it's so cool. It's not just playable. It's genuine. It's not a simulation. It's not a reissue. It's not... ColecoVision's idea of Pac-Man. It is the 100% genuine real Pac-Man machine with the original controls and, excuse me, a tube monitor. There's a difference between flat screens and tubes. They look different, the motion is different, and any hardcore game player will stick his nose up at a flat screen. And it's very difficult to keep 30-year-old tube TVs working, but we stick our neck out and continue to spend huge amounts of time and effort keeping the original games original. So it's like uh, a museum or it's, a, I, I link it more to like Turner Classic Movies because when Ted Turner bought all those movies and everybody laughed at him and said, what are you buying that junk for? You, you, you bought a bunch of old black and white movies? Nobody wants that crap. Yeah, nobody's watched that in years, but Ted Turner used to watch movies late at night, and he was insulted by the faded TV prints that the local stations would run that were full of scratches, and the sound was bad, and it was interrupted by horrendous commercials, and the picture had been smushed up to fit in a TV screen, and everything with the experience was wrong. So he bought the movies, and he started up the Turner Classic Movies Channel, and he said, I don't care about marketing. I don't care about test audiences. I want a channel that shows movies in their entirety the way they were originally seen. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But this is the way I want it. And it drew a lot of people. Um, now he's a genius. He's, he's, you know, Superman. But what he did is realize that there was a need for people to relive their youth. And he had it easy compared to us because if you have one copy of a movie, you can endlessly, you can clean it up on a computer, adjust the color, take the scratches out, and it looks like new. Then you can take that and put it down Time Warner's pipes, and 10 million people can see it on their cell phone, 
or in their living room. The problem with this stuff is it can't be digitized. Uh You can't play a simulation of a pinball machine. The physical ball will never be able to be replicated by an algorithm. Sorry, guys, give up. It's never going to work. So what you've got is I have the only physical specimens, and I'm one of the few people that still has the knowledge to train a staff to tell them how to fix this stuff and continue this on if you wanted to start this up yeah you could probably find the game somewhere but how are you going to find the people that know how to fix them where all the parts are stashed um on and on and on so we're kind of a unique thing and everywhere i go when i travel it's the same thing in every town it's the same motels and fast food joints out by the freeway. It's the same Kuwait City Park with benches downtown. It's the same little Route 66 museum on every town from Chicago to Santa Monica. It's manufactured culture being shoved down people's throats. You come into this place and it's completely ass backwards. It's not fancy. We don't have a big sign. We don't have a marketing program. What it is is an old auto parts store filled with pinball machines that we dug out of dumpsters and patched back together. That's not something you see everywhere else. So people look at this and go, wow, this is neat. Well, and you bring up a good point. Like, I, every arcade that I ever played in as a kid was not a fancy place. It, it wasn't a you know, high-tech immersive experience it was places like this and i think that's that nostalgia factor is what really sticks and we're one of the few places that you still take a quarter and put it in a slot everybody else has gone to swipe cards and the problem with swipe cards is if you are forced to buy ten dollars in order to get the swipe card so the minimum admission now at most arcades is ten dollars for a swipe card and you have to pay $3 for the privilege of using the card. And if your phone rings in the middle of your visit and you have to dash out the door, you can't stick the swipe card in your pocket and use it at the laundromat like you can with quarters. Right. So our customers hate, and I cannot tell you the vitriolic hate that everybody has for automated payment systems that force you to buy things you don't want and can't use and can't return. I can't turn a swipe card in and get my remaining coins back. Here, if you don't like the service, you just walk out the door and say, I'm never coming back. And there's also a subtle change that happens to arcades that don't use quarters, where it's pay one price, all you can play at the door, or it's a swipe card. All of a sudden, in the arcade owner's mind, it switches from being about I make my money at the games to I make my money at the change machine or the swipe card machine. So all of a sudden you begin to lose focus on the fact that it's 280 individual games. I have to make sure that this game works well or it's not taking in any coins. It becomes like the buffet at Circus Circus. It's all you can eat, but why would you want to eat that? Right. It becomes about selling people a Groupon, 
and getting more people suckered. And once they're in the door, you don't care what happens to them. You already got their money. Yeah. And we're the opposite. We don't make anything on the change machines. We give you four quarters for a dollar, and we make our money at the machine. And if the flipper is six degrees too low or a bumper is dead, the income on that game drops immediately because game, game lovers, game nuts, are fanatic about this has got to work. Uh-huh. So we're not allowed the luxury of flipping the finger off to our customers and say, ha ha, we got your $13.50, $10 for the, the games and three fifty for the card. We don't care what happens to you, now get out of here. How many machines do you have in out on display and, and available for play? We've got about 280 here. And everything from the 1930s up to into the early 90s. Right. And there's no economic reason for us to have most of this old stuff. It doesn't make any money. Mm-hmm. Um, we pay the bills with the crane machines and the video games and the new pinballs in the front row. The, the older stuff is nothing but a drain on our time. But again, looking back at Turner Classic Movies, they spend a huge amount of money to clean up these movies and show them occasionally once twice a year on their channel and it's not about it's not about making money it's about putting on a show and you can't have a show without a lot of different acts and that's what we have and and how many machines do you have sitting around in the back just kind of that you're working on that you want to try and get get out and get going well we have the original building in my backyard which has about 800 in it. Oh, my God. Um, and there's stuff in that building that absolutely still to this day freaks me out when I see it. Uh, we have the BB machine guns from Riverview Park. I've got uh, fortune tellers from the turn of the century. Uh, I've got weird pinballs that were made by one manufacturer that then turned around and disappeared. I've got weird old arcade games where you drive or fly or bomb the Nazis and stuff like that. Stuff I haven't had the space for here. And the reason we moved from here to the Strip was because we were able to get a building three times as large. Uh And we're going to run all the things that we don't have space for here are going to show up there. Very cool. And one of the things that that I love that you do is you do a ton of charity stuff and a lot of charity donations. Is it money from the machines goes to charity? Well, this we have a, a, a simple two-part mission. We avoid doing things that don't conform to these two items. You'll notice that we don't have a bar. Every second person comes in here, oh, dude, you should serve beer. This would be kick-ass. Or a pizza parlor or a robot animal review. We don't sell games. We don't sell parts. Uh, All we do is two things. Operate a pinball arcade open to the public seven days a week with free admission. One of the few things in Vegas you can still do without paying to park and paying to walk in the door. And our second mission is to donate funds to local social service charities. Now, saying that, you can go online and see our tax returns for free at guidestar.org. Uh, and you'll notice the last couple of years we haven't been doing much charitable giving because we've been getting ready to and starting to pay for 
the move to the strip. Right. We own the dirt lot on the strip, fee simple. It's ours free and clear. That took a lot of the money that used to go to charity went into buying the lot. Mm-hmm. Now we're trying to get all our nickels together, shaking the couch cushions, trying to get enough change together to build a building. Right. But when we get it done, we will be able to get back to the number two item on our mission list, which is donating money. Mm-hmm. That's why that's number two, and putting on a show is number one. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the new building. I got to say, I am absolutely stoked about this new building because, as you said, it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. The aisles are going to be wider. Uh, There will not be a carpet on the floor. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not going to be fancy. Uh, We will not have a bar. We'll have a canned Pepsi machine. If you've got to drink something, you can drink that. We'll continue to have the quarter popcorn. People love that. Uh, it gives them something to munch on so they don't have to leave and come back. Um, popcorn's fairly affordable for us to get, so we can sell it to you for a quarter. Uh, what we're going to be adding in is nothing new. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to, I couldn't go out and buy any more than five or six new pinball machines a year. Mm-hmm. And even that's stretching it because I have to buy new startup manufacturers that have no track record and may disappear in six months, leaving me with a $7,200 boat anchor. So new machines, you're not going to see anything other than what we've got here. Right. And one of every new game that comes out that's worth having. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to be getting any of that. You're not going to be getting any of the games you see at Dave & Buster's. You're not going to be seeing the big driving games, the flying games, Batman shoot the Joker ride or any of that crap. You're not going to see the kitty casino stuff. You see a Chuck E. Cheese. We have a moral objection to teaching kids how to gamble on those machines. Uh, I think it's like if I stood outside uh, a schoolhouse and gave out free cigarettes and shots of whiskey, here, kid, try this, it's harmless. No, there's a lot of people that have been through gambling addiction who will tell you that giving children a taste for this is bad and again when i was given a taste of it when i was a kid it was a dime and i won one free game what you're talking about with the kitty casino games is thousands of tickets that you can trade for high value prizes and it's exactly a slot machine with cartoon characters and tickets instead of coins coming out Mm -hmm. so we're not going there Um, What it's going to be is more aisleways of the classic stuff. Uh, We're going to get a lot more into the 50s, which was a very innovative time for pinball machines. The pinball companies were on the ropes. They were within days of closing because the government outlawed slot machines in the 50s, and a lot of municipalities threw pinball out with slot machines and it shrunk down to two factories and they were making under a thousand games at a time and they had to try new stuff to try to get their audience back and instead of the same game over and over again they try upside down play fields and big gaps one time and little gaps between the flippers another time and very interesting time um, I'm looking forward to that we also have uh, exhibits of pinball art 
that we're going to do, we have a special space up the middle we call Grand Avenue, which we're going to put on art and science displays of how flippers work and bumpers work and all that jazz. Um, and just a lot more of the older stuff. That's where we're going with it. That's going to be amazing. When are you looking at, uh, at starting on construction? What are you hoping for for a completion date? Uh, permits should be out of the building department in the next two weeks. Uh, we'll pick a contractor in December. December is a slow time during construction because there's a lot of days off. Uh, we'll start probably construction, uh, ground prep, and, and grading probably January 1st. Uh, we're looking at a completion date. I'm told October 1st, but it could drift. I'm not being naive and stupid thinking that I'm going to get it earlier. So it's sometime late next year. That's going to be amazing. I, as I say, Tim, like I, I absolutely love this place. This is, this, this is childhood to me, and uh, the fact that that this is a place that I can come and, and escape from the the lunacy up Tropicana at the Strip and come out here. Right, uh, and it's affordable too. Exactly. I mean, every yeah. you go down on the Strip and it's thirty dollars to park to get into an attraction or a show. It's fifty, sixty, two hundred dollars. It's a cup of coffee in the morning is eight dollars, and then you come out here. Half our games are still a quarter. Yeah, and we got quarter popcorn. You park for free. You walk in the door for free, um, and it's don't expect concierge service. A <laughs> lot of people walk in here and they think they're going to get a docent that's going to follow them around and give them the history of the pinball. And a lot of people come up to me when I'm working and say, "Can you tell me about this machine?" And I go, no, because you're not going to get concierge service at Motel 6 prices. Uh, people have spoken time and time again that they prefer reasonable quality goods at reasonable prices. The vast majority of Americans don't want a $600 a night Bellagio hotel room. That's not where we're at. Yeah. That, that's what attracted us to that lot on the South Strip in the first place, mm -hmm. is you'd think, oh, well, you want to be up in the Strip where all the nightclubs and the action and the gambling are. No, those aren't my peeps. My peeps are the people that go to that crazy-ass sign, that Las Vegas sign, where you can't find a place to park 90% of the day. Yeah. They've enlarged the parking lot three times, and it's still not big enough. You could have a stadium parking lot, a parking ramp there, and it would fill up. Because people like the idea of that kitschy sign, yeah. taking their picture next to it. And let me tell you what really attracts them, free admission, free parking. Yeah, that, That's what built Vegas. And people are getting a little pissed off that they come to Vegas and they get a $40 resort fee on top of their $200 room. And it costs them to park. It costs them to turn around and fart. It's not what built Vegas. So we're going to be really weird on the Strip. I mean, we're kind of an odd duck sitting out here where we're at. Mm -hmm. But on the Strip, we're going to be uh, low-end, downtown, uh, cheap. Uh, we're still not going to be fancy. Don't expect that. Uh, what we're going to be is an old auto parts store full of pinball machines. Just a little bit bigger. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Tim, I absolutely love it. Thank you. 
for taking time out. I caught you in the middle of, uh, of repairing a machine, so I do appreciate you taking the time. Um, hours, you guys are open? Open 11 to 11 every day of the year. You can find the Pinball Hall of Fame at 1610 East Tropicana Avenue, approximately two miles off the Strip. It's about a 10-minute drive from the MGM Grand, or, if you're feeling particularly adventurous, about a 45-minute walk. If you want to learn more about the Pinball Hall of Fame, be sure to visit them online at pinballmuseum.org. that wraps up yet another episode of the podcast if you've got feedback on this episode of the show or any other episode or you're looking for suggestions for your own las vegas vacation on where to stay where to eat what to see or what shows to hit feel free to reach out to me via facebook twitter or instagram at jeff does vegas or you can drop me an email directly at jeff at walkernewmedia.com In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit jeffdoesvegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been episode number 49 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast.